Hi everyone, and welcome to Episode 3 of Flesh and Gold. First, let me share the exciting news that Flesh and Gold is now an official iTunes podcast. All you have to do is download the iTunes podcast app from the App Store, search for Flesh and Gold, and subscribe. I'd love for you to leave a review as well if you'd like. The benefits of subscribing to a podcast is that it ensures that each episode will automatically be downloaded to your device, so you can listen whenever and wherever you want, instead of depending on Wi-Fi to stream. I cannot tell you how excited I am to introduce you all to Mia today. Mia just happens to be the first interview that I've ever recorded with someone whom I did not previously know. We met through a mutual friend, Gretchen, who works with Mia at the Franklin headquarters for a famous author and radio personality. Mia has been such a special and personal gift to me in this season. The leadership, courage, humility, and vulnerability that Mia walks in is matched only by her kindness and grace. Our many phone calls over the last couple of months have resonated with me and encouraged me through some personal trials and paths that I have been walking through this year. God is alive, powerful, and still in the business of transforming our hearts and raising the dead places to life. What you are about to listen to has been the result of hours of courageous faith, processing, and preparation on Mia's part. I know without a doubt that you will be touched by her journey, the sacrifice that she has walked through to tell her story, and the powerful reminder of the goodness of God and the comfort that he provides us in our darkest hours. So with that having been said, Mia, thank you so much and welcome to the show. Wow, Jen, thank you. That was an incredible intro, and I'm just honored um, to be a part of this, and I've really, really enjoyed journeying with you through this. Well, me too. I think this has been such a, a gift and a place of encouragement and excitement just to get to know you, to discover your story, and hash it out kind of behind the scenes before you present it today. Yeah, and that was a serious intro. Oh, gosh, I almost cried. I don't know that it's that great, but thanks. No, you are. You are. Everyone I, I feel like I talk to, I keep, they, everybody in my circle knows about you. They're super excited for this interview, and, and I am too. I am too. Me too. Okay, so you live in Nashville right now, and you're married, and you want to tell me a little bit about your family? Yes, yes. I, um, my, my husband, JJ, and I moved to Nashville almost four years ago. Our family um, is all still in Florida, where we're from, um, but about four years ago, when our son, JJ, was one, we had just um, really decided that we wanted kind of a different life for him. And, um, you know, we were both raised in Tampa and realized that we just kind of wanted something different for him. And we love the Franklin, Tennessee area. And so we decided to kind of step out on faith and make a move here with no family, no support system, no promises. Um, But we just made the drive and we've really never regretted it. It's a great city and we, we love it. Oh, that's so good. So why don't you just take us back to the beginning of the story where you're born and raised and kind of paint us a picture of your early childhood. Yes, yes. So like I said, um, I was raised in Tampa, Florida, and um, I was the only girl of five children. So I have four brothers. Um, We grew up uh, in Tampa in a very religious, legalistic home. I heard a lot about God. Um, We went to church all the time, but um, I had a very distorted view of who he really was. Um, I grew up Jehovah's Witness, and um, I remember feeling many times very afraid of God. I was afraid of his plan for my life. I always felt very undeserving of his love, no matter what I did. Um, And his love was always very conditional to me. 
when I was about eight years old, um, I remember a key moment. Um, we had attended church three times a week, and our midweek um, was in somebody's home, so more of a Bible study setting. And I was asked to bake a cake for the Bible study. And my father, I asked him, you know, is there any scripture I can write on this cake? And, you know, obviously it was a small surface base. And um, he said, well, you need a small scripture. So God is love. There's a good scripture for you. And it's funny because even at that young age, as I was writing out that scripture, um, I distinctly remember a point where I thought there was a disconnect for me. There was a gap in the words that I was writing and reading and who I knew God to be from what I had learned. Um, it was just a moment that really stood out to me, but I didn't mm-hmm. know what the moment meant. Anyhow, shortly after that, my parents suddenly divorced. It kind of came out of nowhere for me. Um, I didn't have any indication that there were issues in the home, um, but all of a sudden my father was up and gone. Um, he continued as a Jehovah's Witness, but my mother was discommunicated from the organization. And pretty much my life and my brother's lives were flipped upside down at that moment. We were very much caught in the middle of uh, my parents and, you know, their feelings towards each other. Um, Since my mother was not a Jehovah's Witness anymore and we lived with her, it kind of gave us the opportunity to, it gave me the opportunity to step away from the organization. And honestly, Jen, I was happy to do so. Like I wasn't full out in it. It wasn't something I was excited and passionate about. And so I was happy to take the opportunity. Unfortunately, what that created was a lot of tension between my father and I. And pretty soon, we pretty much had no relationship. Um, He would come to the house and he would see my brothers, especially my brothers that were still attending his church. Um, He would see them, but oftentimes just ignore me. And it really just carved the path for some hard times for me as I went into my teenage years. I was very lost. I was depressed. I was rebellious. I was quite rebellious. Um, One of the things for me that really stand out and was a light spot for me when I was about 12 going on 13, I was invited to a church function. And um, when I got there, I met a young man Uh, His name was JJ, and he was a pastor's kid. He was the son of the pastor of that church. And since my mother knew him, she sort of gave us the green light to to date. And um, although I was really young, we just mostly just went to the movies together or we'd hang out at, you know, one or the other person's house. Um, I even attended his church a couple times. What kind of a church was it? Just like a... They were a non-denominational Christian church. Okay. Yeah. And I did attend, but I, I used to feel very conflicted about it. And I think the thing was, is that as a Jehovah's Witness, you were forbidden to ever attend somebody else's church, even for a funeral or a wedding. Um, So it was very taboo for me to be in a church. And so it was very conflicting for me. So JJ and I, we were crazy about each other. I mean, we were young, obviously, um, but we just had a real connection. And, um, you know, the thing was, though, Jen, is that obviously I was too young to be dating. I wasn't equipped at all to be in a relationship. Um, And I was broken and I was lost and I was really looking for the love of a father. Um, And, you know, that's just, it's never going to work. And so about a year and a half later, the relationship ended and I was extremely heartbroken. He was the one good thing in my life Um, and he treated me really well. And um, he really was, you know, he was really the first indication of love that I had felt. Um, So by the time I was 15 years old, I mean, my, my life was headed in, just into really dark places. I was pretty much a time bomb. 
I had no relationship with my father at this point. Uh, no idea who God was or uh, what I, who I was, who I wanted to be. Um, no good influences in my life, really. Uh, I began doing drugs. I began partying. I dropped out of school at this point and was in relationship after relationship. And you know, pretty much all I can say is that God really protected me through those years. Mm-hmm. I did have a few people here and there who saw something in me. I had teachers um, who were really excellent. Um, a couple older friends that you know they weren't really believers, but they were you know good people and they were doing awesome things and they believed in me and they tried to encourage me. Um, But I think the thing was, is I was really missing the felt love and direction of my parents. You know, I didn't really have that. And my brothers were also very lost. Uh, One of my brothers at that point had started dealing drugs out of our home and the home basically became an unsafe place for me to live. And I really wanted out that I was only 16 years old. Yeah. So at this point, um, I was 16, about to turn 17, and I, like I said, had dropped out of school. And so I started working. Um, As soon as I dropped out, um, my mom gave me the option of going to work if I wanted to. And so that's what I did because I was trying to find a way to get out of my home. And so at that point, I started working. And when I was at work one day, I met a much older man. And by 17, before I even turned 17, I had moved out of my house and in with this man. Mm. Um, He even had a daughter from a previous marriage. So at that point, I was living with a much older man and even acting as a stepmom when I was still a child. Pretty soon after moving out of our home, my brother, who had been dealing drugs, um, died of an overdose of heroin. And my parents, uh, of course, they were completely distraught, rightfully so, but... um, again, we, my brothers and I found ourselves in the middle of the blame game where they were blaming each other. And it was just a mess. Like this, our family had gone from already being a mess and then you add in this tragedy to it and it was horrific. So at this point, the relationship between my father and I um, had vastly improved and the relationship between my mother and I was mostly non-existent. Um, By 18, I decided to get married to this man that I was living with. I was working full-time and also had decided that I wanted to complete my education. Um, The education part of it was a big part for me because as a Jehovah's Witness, they also did not promote education. So no one in my family had really gone to college, and it was never encouraged. And in fact, we weren't even really encouraged to go to school. Um, So that was a really big deal for me. Is that true for boys and girls in in the Jehovah Witness community, or is it mostly girls? No, it's true for both, um, or at least it was at the time. I can't speak for it now, but at the time, they really believed the end of times were coming so soon that it wasn't worth investing in education. And so, yeah, so we were, they did want us to go to school, but, you know, further education was in no way encouraged. Did you almost feel rebellious when you're like trying to actually complete your high school diploma and go to college? Did you almost feel rebellious? I felt like, I guess I felt like a pioneer of sorts. Like, you know, I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. And like, yeah, I know this is what they say, but I just, you know, I didn't, I never knew what the future could hold for me, but I had always dreamed it was something bigger and better, but I never knew what that looked like. I didn't know anybody who was, I didn't know any people that were educated. I didn't know believers. I didn't know, no one in my circle was talking about God or the future. So there was no one for me to really lean on and glean from. Mm -hmm. So at this point, 
I'm in college. Um, I'm even moving up in my career where I'm at. I had um, taken a position um, with an ad agency and I had been moving up and decided I wanted to kind of go to college and get my and get my communications degree. Um, it's also at this point, I'm about 18 and I'm really starting to question my faith again. Um, I don't, like I said, I don't know anybody who's a believer, but I know I do, I do still believe in God. I never stopped believing it, that there was a God. I think I just thought if this is the God of the universe, I don't want to know him. He's not on my side. And it was very conditional. So I believed in God, but I didn't necessarily want to know him. At this point, though, I start wanting to explore that further. I start saying, maybe he's not the God that my parents said he was. Maybe he's not the God I always heard of. And I want to figure this out for myself. Mm -hmm. So my relationship with my ex-husband was really failing at this point. Uh, We began to want much different things. I really wanted to explore my faith and further my education. And he wasn't incredibly supportive about that. By 21, we had divorced and I decided to be out on my own. So shortly after my divorce, I had jumped into this new relationship with another person and it was obviously failing. Like I was not ready to be in another relationship. I had, um, you know, didn't know who I was, didn't know what I wanted out of life. And of course, this relationship was going to also fail. Um, But as it was coming to an end, I really started to call out to God for the first time since I was a child. I started to actually pray and speak to God and say, I really want you to show me the direction that you want me to go and what your plan and purpose is for my life. So one morning I'm sitting on the couch watching TV of all places and I see this preacher on TV and he's talking about God and he's talking about God's characters. And in that moment, I remembered the scripture that I had written on that cake as a young child, um, the, the scripture that said God is love. And I thought, to myself, this makes sense. This connects for me. And this is a God that I want to know if this is truth and this is his character and he is a good God and he loves me where I'm at. I want to know him. And at this point, Jen, I was in complete pursuit of him. Um, I certainly by no means, um, understood the gospel. I, I had no one discipling me. I had never, again, never been into a church really. So at this point, the only thing that's happening here is I am just full out pursuing the Lord. And I, I know he's pursuing me before this. He's pursuing me all before this. But at this point is when I'm just completely life changed, heart changed, and I want to pursue him. So pretty shortly after that, my relationship ended and, um, I was, like I said, in full exploration of the truth, um, not looking for a relationship, really needed some time on my own. Um, And of course, you know, the Lord throws me a curveball. And at this point, I reunite with JJ, my first love. Um, He was living in a whole other city, which was awesome because I was still on my own in Florida, um, like I said, pursuing the Lord and just spending some time on my own, which I just really needed. So for about six months, JJ and I were in communication and I would say we were committed to one another because the moment we, he came to Tampa and visited and the moment that we saw each other, it was clear. Like we knew that this is what was supposed to happen in the first place. And we just had this amazing connection. Like it was a connection that I think was there when we were children, but 
the timing was so wrong. So we had this amazing connection and we knew we were supposed to be together. Um, he was in one city and I was in another. And I just told him, I'm not fully ready. Like I am in a place of exploration and I need time on my own. And he was so patient and said, absolutely, whatever time you need. And I just, you know, so for six months, we just, we were committed to one another, but he gave me the time that I needed and came to visit. Um, I did end up moving to Franklin, Tennessee, which is where um, he was at at the time. And uh, I lived in Franklin for about six months. And then we then we went back to Florida together. And that's where we got married. So two years um, after we reconnected was the day that we like right around the time that we got married. And honestly, Jen, like I thought when the day that we got married, like it was a dream come true for me. Like I thought, tragedies behind me pain is behind me like at this point I'm marrying the man of my dreams he has this incredible family like they are so sweet and loving and um it looks nothing like my family background um I had faith now and um I I think at this point I was still pursuing God like I still um I had just got plugged into a church and I was being discipled in in a sense and getting to know the gospel and you know, I had a career I was really proud of and I had worked for and we had friends. And um, even on our wedding day, my parents, you know, they were both there. My father gave me away and my parents were even civil to each other on that day. And it was an awesome day. Like I was like, this is it. Like my life is going to be awesome from here on out. So you had that sense of stability and almost like that unconditional love in JJ that you were searching for for so long. Yes. And JJ and I at that point were in a church, we were plugged into a church and we were actually plugged into youth service. So we oftentimes missed the main service, um, but we were with the youth and I just loved the youth. Like I thought they were so authentic and I'm like, you guys can take your, your adult service and I'm just going to hang out here <laughs> with the youth who are like worshiping the Lord, like, like there's no tomorrow, but they were just authentic and I loved it. And I think it was, and it was in that point where I really got to know the gospel and I really um, got to know, really understand what Christ had done for me and that he actually died for me. And it became so real to me during that time. And because of all these youth. And I think for me, like sincerity is such a big deal for me. And I think I needed that. Like, I think I needed to see and know, like know, understand that Christ had died for me and to see children that understood that for it to become that real to me. Yes, that's good. So like I said, I mean, my wedding day, it was really a dream for me. Like I just thought life does not get any better than this. Um, We had a beautiful wedding. We had planned it together. And I think I could barely get through the wedding without just bawling. And JJ was bawling and his dad who married us was bawling. And it was like, just this dream come true for me. And I just felt like my life and my story from this point was just going to be so different from what I grew up in. Three weeks after we returned from our honeymoon, I found out that I was pregnant and we were absolutely shocked. Uh, We did not think it was going to happen that quickly, but we were also really ecstatic because we were a little bit older We had both always wanted to be parents, um, and so we weren't upset about it in any way. We were excited. We were planning, um, you know, dreaming, naming, all those things that, you know, anybody would do. Uh, About six weeks into my pregnancy is when morning sickness started to hit. And, Jen, when I say morning sickness, I was like, this can't possibly – I don't think that people usually get this sick. Like, I had gotten to the point where I couldn't hold anything down. I couldn't function. I couldn't go to work. I mean, 
I couldn't even, I couldn't hold down my own saliva. Like it was that bad. That's actually a condition, right? It is a condition, but at the time nobody had diagnosed me. And so the doctors would continue to send me to ER every three days. I would get hydrated. I would get, I would get medication through IV and then they'd send me home with oral medication of which I couldn't keep down. Mm. And so it was like this vicious cycle where I am confined to my home Um, I can't do anything and I can't keep this medicine down. And I just feel like literally, Jen, I felt like death. Like I was like, Lord, if you can take me now, I'm going to be okay with that because I don't think I can handle one more day of this. So the condition that I had was hyperemesis. And unfortunately, the doctors wouldn't diagnose me at the time. And I was so consumed in being sick. And JJ, of course, was so consumed in caring for me that, you know, we didn't, we weren't concerned about that at the time. We were just concerned about getting me through. Uh, we really hoped that it would let, let up in the first trimester. It let up a little about 22 weeks. Um, and so at 22 weeks, I went back into work and I was working an event um, for the ministry. And there I was, and all of a sudden, this pain hits me in my back that literally brings me to my knees. Like, I fall down right there, and I'm rushed to the hospital. And we get to the hospital, and um, the lady is doing a sonogram on me. And let me tell you, I could see her face, and I just knew something was really wrong. Mm. And sure enough, my doctors came in, and they told me I was in preterm labor and that my baby was not viable. So at that point, they admitted me um, and basically did everything that they could to keep the baby in. But by 25 weeks, um, they couldn't keep the labor from coming anymore. And our son, Jaden, was delivered emergency C-section. He was, I was 25 weeks at that point, and he was one pound and 13 ounces. And the only time I ever heard him cry was right before they intubated him and took him to the NICU. That's the only time you heard him cry? Yeah. Mm. So as you can imagine, I was pretty much a total mess. Like, I'd like to be able to tell you that I was super brave and, like, you know, just believe in that everything was going to be okay. But let me tell you, Jen, when they wheeled me to that NICU to see him for the first time, like, I was such a mess. Um, I was horrified to see my baby like that. I was scared you know, scared for his life. And, you know, I was just angry. I was like, this is not at all what I have dreamed of my my whole life. Like I had dreamed about being a mom my whole life. And I'm like, this is horrific. Like, this is not what I imagine. And I didn't, I didn't know anything about having a preterm baby. Like I didn't know what a NICU experience would be like. Um, it was scary, you know, it's scary. Yeah. So pretty much the only thing that kept me going was that my son was fighting for his life. And, you know, it's funny, like as a parent, and I'm sure you know this, like when you think you can handle something like your kids can give you unbelievable strength. So, you know, we prayed for Jaden, you know, he was, he didn't have good odds. Um, he looked great in his first couple days, looked great. You know, he didn't have any major brain bleeds, um, his lungs, they were not fully developed, but because I had been in the hospital for, you know, three weeks prior, they were able to give me steroids to help his lung development. Yeah. And um, so he was doing better than he probably should have been at that gestation. Jaden was in the NICU for about 
three and a half weeks. Within that three and a half weeks, um, he went through a major surgery um, because he perforated a bowel. And, you know, we just prayed through all of it, Jen. Like we prayed that he would survive and we believed as much as someone can believe. And we cried and people, yeah, yeah. people prayed, you know, everyone did. Um, but at the end of it, you know, the doctors pretty much gave us, gave us our last options, which was to take him off of life support because he wasn't going to make it. And that was just a hard reality. You know, that was hard as parents, but we had to make that decision. And, um, we had to come in one day and make that decision to take him off. And we had to say goodbye. We never thought we'd walk out of there without him, but we walked out of there without him that day. I can't even imagine. It's funny because it's like you'd think that that moment that we left that hospital and left our son there would be the hardest moments, and they were. But honestly, it was the months to come and the year to come that was the hardest to get through. As a couple and as individuals, you know, women and men, they grieve so differently. Like my husband was just trying to hold on to me. And, you know, in that I perceived it as he doesn't care. You know, you just, when you're in pain, like every, your reality is so distorted. And, you know, I thought, well, maybe he doesn't care. He, you know, he's not grieving the way I'm grieving. And, and, you know, at the same time too, I was, you know, detaching from him. I was detaching from everybody. I was avoiding people. People were avoiding me because they didn't really know what to do with me or say to me. And I was disconnected from everything. Like I, I don't know that I could really even begin to touch on what I felt about God during that time. I just felt like I had pursued him and I had chose to live my life for him. And this is how he repaid me. Like I was angry. It wasn't like I was like, you know, oh, you know, just holding on to God's hand. Like I just, that wasn't how I handled it. Um, I wish I could say I did, but I didn't, you know, I was just angry. I was thinking God knows more than anyone, you know, he's a loving, he's supposed to be a loving father. Like he knows that being a mom was my dream. Yeah. And so that was really hard for me. Like I couldn't even begin to talk to him or face him. And I was just very, um, I just felt very much alone in my pain and my grief. You know, I remember a specific moment where JJ said, he tells the story best, but I'll tell you the story from my perspective. Apparently one day I just walked out the door in the pouring rain, just walked out and just started roaming. Like I was just walking, no idea where I was going, no idea what was going through my mind. I just needed to walk. And my sweet husband, like he's just following behind me and I'm like turning around and like yelling at him, like, leave me alone. Go away. Yeah. Do you remember this? Oh, I remember it. I don't know what I was thinking. I was just like, I've just got to walk. I've just got to walk. And I don't know where I'm going to go, but I've just got to escape. And so he's just following me, making sure I'm okay. And I'm just yelling at him to leave me alone and go away. And he's like, I'm not going to, I'm going to watch you and make sure you're okay. I'll stand back. Like I'll walk further back. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just walking through, you know, walking in the rain and my husband's following behind me. Um, but I, you know, I just think I needed an escape of something. Like I didn't, you know, there was so many, there was so much I had gone through my mind of like how I could escape this reality and none of it worked. Like I thought to myself, what if I pretend that I was never pregnant and like tell myself that, like, could that work? Like, it was just like, I was just calling at anything Mm. that could take me away from this reality. Do you think that, um, 
even that memory of, of JJ walking behind you, even as you're roaming, like, hurt and aimless, do you feel like even that's sort of just a prophetic picture of of how the Lord was following after you in that time or pursuing you? I think it was. Um, I think I needed, at that moment, I needed to accept this reality. Like, I needed to get there first because I was just... I was partially in denial. Like, I think I went from like shock yeah. to denial. Like I needed to even accept what had happened. Like I wasn't even there yet. It was during that time too, that it occurred to me that I may ne- never be able to carry a pregnancy to full term. And that was also a really hard part for me because I remember thinking JJ didn't marry somebody who couldn't give him a child. And what if that's, what if that's a reality yeah. for me? Like, would he have still married me knowing that? And that just really weighed heavy on me. It weighed heavy on me, like thinking, you know, it wasn't something I felt like I could ask him because I felt like yeah. I didn't really, you know, I felt like he would tell me one thing, but maybe he didn't really think that. But like I said, like, I just feel like the enemy at this time was just like, he was just doing, he was taking anything and everything like he could to kill me during that time. Like I, it was such a dark, dark time. I had asked you this question before, but um, how did God get you through this season? It wasn't very quickly. It wasn't easily. It wasn't quickly. It was such a long time period. I really had to, I, I almost fought God in a sense. Like I allowed all this stuff from my childhood to just overtake me. And, and I felt like I was responsible for this whole thing happening because I had come from tragedy. I'd come from tragedy and I'd come from pain. And then in another sense, I don't, I didn't want to move on. I felt like as a mom, if I held on to the pain and the grief, it was like holding on to my son, like, Hey, the whole world's going to move on and they're going to forget that Jaden lived, but you're not because you're going to stay in this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like I almost like I was honoring him by staying in pain and grief. I just think that's so honest and I think probably so many people feel that way that you know just don't have these conversations I totally agree like I think I didn't even I didn't even have the ability to share that with somebody it was just like my little secret you know, like I was just mm-hmm. going to hold on to this as long as possible because I, because I would honor my son or I'd be a better mom by doing that. Um, there was a turning point for me and I, I feel like God specifically used somebody in my story mostly to show me that joy was an option for me if I chose it. I had a phone call one day from, you know, this woman that I knew through ministry, and she was actually a pastor of a local, another local church. And she gave me a call and, you know, I didn't, I knew her not very well. I just knew of her and, you know, we kind of were in the same circle, but she called and she said, I would really love for you to come visit me at the church offices when you can. And so I got in the car and I drove over there and it's um, Lakeland. So it's, you know, just about 45 minutes from Tampa. And I showed up in her office and it was just the two of us. And she said, I just feel like I'm supposed to tell you my story. Mm -hmm. And there she sat. And this woman, like this woman, 
I had, you know, known her in the past. I had seen her pastor. I just think she was like one of the funniest, most dynamic women I'd ever met and loved the Lord. And like, she was just incredible. And she starts telling me her story about the babies, multiple babies that she had lost and the way that she had lost them, which first of all, made me feel like my story was like, like nothing, you know, compared to the things that she had been through. But what God really did in that moment was he used her to show me that if I chose that one day my life could be like hers, where I would have never known this about her. Like, it's like God had redeemed all of that. And it's not that he erased it, but that he had brought her to the other side of the grief to where she could talk about it and she could share. And like, unless somebody told me, I would have never known she had been through that. And I think that was a big turning point for me Yeah, because I realized it were possible. I realized that as a mom, she was still loving her babies and honoring her babies. Like she was still a loving mother. It didn't make her less of a mother because she was choosing joy. Yeah. Would you be able to talk about some of the actual turning points that you had sort of after you met that woman and was presented with hope for the first time? Yes. Um, this is where God and I started to have some real conversations. I started to call out to God. I've said, God, I do not want this burden. I don't want this to be my story. And Jen, it's very similar to, you know, Christ's prayer at the Mount where he said, father, if you're willing to take this cup from me, I just thought like, God, I don't want this to be my story. Like, this is not, you know, this is not what I wanted. And it brought me to a point where I was at a crossroads in my faith. Um, I started asking some very hard questions. I started saying, what do you, what do I really believe? Like, is God real? Is he really good? Do I believe his will for me is ultimately good? Mm -hmm. Even now, even in this, do I believe he is who he says he is? And for me, this was big. I wanted to know the why. And I wondered if I'd ever know the why. And I grappled with this for a while. Like I sat there and I searched the Bible and I wanted answers. And Jen, I didn't, I didn't find the answers that I wanted. I, it's funny cause I was looking for answers and it's like, I just found something completely different. I didn't find the why I found peace though. And it's the peace that surpasses all understanding. I came to know God during that time in a way that I had never known him before, because in that, in searching, I had, I had sensed his love and his peace in a way I had never before. And it brought me to a place of surrender. It brought me to the other side of that prayer, which is not my will, but yours. That's so good. And I became okay with the fact that I may never know the answers, but I ultimately said, God, I give you this pain and I let you tend to my wounds. And that's the place where transformation really started to happen. I had at that point laid it all out for him. I decided that I was going to start journaling and I journaled all my offenses towards God. I journaled all the painful places, all the things about the whole experience that were still haunting me because there was so much about the whole Nikki experience and like things that we had seen Jaden go through that as a mom were heart-wrenching. Yeah. And I just, I think I just needed to get it out. I just sat in my journal and laid it all out and it was ugly. And, you know, it was, it was just ugly. It was all the stuff that I was still so hurt and offended by. And I also, at that point I saw a counselor, I went and found a Christian counselor and 
um, I was able to verbally speak some of this out loud and gosh, I barely got through any of it, but it was very cleansing. Like just being able to speak all of this stuff out loud and just to have somebody pray with me and they didn't give me answers, but they just prayed with me and sat in that with me. And that really opened up for me the door to be able to speak to JJ about it. And I think, you know, through all of this, we had yet to really grieve together because I was able to get all that stuff out. It was like, this was the first point. And this is probably, I don't know, a year and a half later. And we're just grieving together for the first time. And he's really being able to grieve for the first time because I think he senses at this point that I am not going to totally fall apart and that maybe he can grieve. Because what I hadn't considered was that through all of this, he's holding me together and he's not able to grieve. Because he's in survival mode still. Yes. I'd say after this, after this major turning point is when I really, for the first time, started to sense a little bit of joy and hope in my life again. And like I said, it was all slowly, Jen. Like it wasn't by any means, even after I saw the counselor and journaled and all of that, like it was slowly day by day, I started to feel again, to even feel. Cause I would say like, I was just completely numb before that. Yeah. Yeah. And one of my favorite scriptures that I had read at the time, it was Romans fifteen thirteen. may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. And I think that's part of what happened in this, that as I surrendered to him, he could fill me with that. Well, I love how you said that you allow the Lord to attend to your wounds. And I think that's such such an important piece of our journeys. It's that there's going to be parts of all of our stories that we don't want to own, that we don't want it to be our stories. We don't want to walk that path. And it's the it's the honesty with God to, you know, essentially hash out our offenses. And then I think the fruit of that is, like you said, the surrender. Once you can communicate what you don't want and be honest with God instead of like walking around all religious and dead inside, I think just allowing him, you know, to wash our feet, to get in those places of um, pain but it's, it is, it's such a supernatural process where he heals and then he fills us with this peace that doesn't make sense and this hope that doesn't have sometimes a worldly explanation and transforms us from the inside. You're so right. So what has this part of your story and your journey produced on the inside of you now so many years later? When you look back at this season, obviously, Mia, and you know, I'm just so grateful and thankful that you've done the sacrificial work of really going back there and and telling this story because I know it's not easy but as you've been reflecting upon this the last few months and digging in deep what has this part of the journey produced on the inside of you well the first thing I'd say is a real faith before this my faith was not that it, it not that it was surface but it was more head than heart I'd yeah. say and my faith with the Lord, that my faith in the Lord is so, you know, I'm in total surrender to him. You know, I can say I truly walk with him. I truly, you know, depend on him and lean on him for everything every day. You know, I mean, I'm not saying I'm forever changed and like never, you know, deal with frustrations or any of that. That would, that's funny. But like when it comes down to it, I'm in total surrender and I understand what that means. And then Another part of it, I would say, is like 
I think the weight of Christ's sacrifice to me, I, I know now that he understands suffering. It was no, it was no surprise to him that I was going to go through this. And I feel like his sacrifice was so great and he can totally relate to my suffering. Mia, that is so good. Thank you so much for sharing that. So during this process, you actually sent me some of your writing that you're about to publish on your blog. And could you just talk a little bit too about some of the ways that you feel that God is beginning to use this part of your story to actually be a place of encouragement for others going through or for others who have been through similar situations? Well, first I want to say that, um, and I have to go back to this part of my story where, you know, there was a point in the grief where I was saying, God, like, I don't care if this can help somebody else. It's not worth it to me. You know, his life was not worth whoever's life I might help in the future. Because that thought occurred to me that, you know, this, that I, this could potentially be part of my story and I could minister to someone else. And then I resented that fact at the time. But as he's healed my heart, I've realized that in that time I was really alone and that I thought people didn't understand my pain. And I kind of want to just write, not just specifically about that, but I just want to, I want to write and share with women and just authentically share like the real stuff, like be able to say like, this is what I was feeling then, or Hey, even as a parent today, like this is what I'm feeling. And you know, it's okay to feel these things and still be a believer and still believe that God is sovereign and that he can heal our hearts. I just want to, you know, I just love being about the real stuff. And like what I'm writing now is even some of the things that Jace is teaching me on a day-to-day basis. And some of it's funny, like real because he's five and five-year-olds are funny. But I just love writing about the realities of walking the faith walk, like walking that out. And what's that, what's that really like? And tell me where we can reach you. So you can reach me on my website at miabellahiggins.com. Again, that's miabellahiggins.com or on my Instagram, which is instagram.com slash miabellahiggins. Great. Well, Mia, I am sad that we are not going to have these weekend conversations planned to tell you the truth it's always a little bit of a letdown anytime I finish and wrap up an interview because I love the the day-to-day collaboration and from the bottom of my heart you have been such a blessing personally especially at this season of my life and I have just felt so honored that you would share your story not only to me personally but on Flesh and Gold. And so I don't even know how to thank you, but I just want to tell you thank you so much. I know that your story is powerful, and I know that God is going to use it to really encourage and bless and help people start healing. So thank you, Mia. Thank you, Jen. This has been such an honor. It's been so fun getting to know you. And I just can't wait to see what Flesh and Gold is going to do and all the people's lives that it's going to touch. Thank you. Well, that wraps up Episode 3 of Flesh and Gold. To contact me or Mia or to listen to other episodes, please visit fleshandgold.com. I appreciate you and thank you for taking the time to listen to these stories of transformation. I'm Jen Beatty.